Hey, welcome to Hear God's Word. This is Michael. In this podcast, we study and dissect the Bible to better understand what it means and is trying to say. Whether we cover intense word studies or simple stories, there's so many layers and it's all important. So, if you want to hear what God has to say, then let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today is going to be a special episode. We're going to actually step back for a minute from studying word for word or um, by section, and we're going to do a recap episode. And today we have a special guest, Pastor Dave Eldridge, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Michael, it is, uh, it's a great honor to spend some time with you. And of course, it's a great joy to spend some time in the Word, uh, the Word of God. Uh, I know you, Mike, from uh, the Rockford Rescue Mission. Uh, I'm a pastor and uh, retired, but also still active at the Rockford Rescue Mission. You and I work there. Uh, You're called Midnight Mike. (laughs) And uh, so they call me Pastor Dave, and I used to be a chaplain there, and I still teach Bible study to a lot of the guys that you and I work with uh, in the men's life recovery. These are guys who are going through drug and alcohol rehab, and and uh, we spend a lot of time with them. Uh, you get really into their living space in a, in a very uh, important way by kind of overseeing their the night hours. And I spend an hour or so a week with them with uh, the Gospel of John, and I also coach uh, some of the guys going through uh, what's called the Genesis process, which helps dig into some of the core causes of addiction. And so one of the ways in which we do that is we spend a little bit of time in the scriptures because the, the whole ministry is entirely scripture-based and faith-based, uh, focusing on, um, on the Lord. And so, uh, so it's a pleasure for me. I'm, um, I live in Woodstock, Illinois, and with my wife and son and two ponies and two dogs. It's called the Dog and Pony Show. And so I spend a lot of time with the animals, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And so... Uh, uh, it's there's all kinds of challenges uh, that uh, I'm sure everybody, every one of us faces. And so let's get into the Bible because you know what? The scriptures are given to us. They're a great gift to us from God, and they're alive, and they're living, and they're eternal. And so the more we get the Word into us, the more we get uh, um, all the resources of eternity into us. So uh, you've invited me to look into Genesis chapter 2, sort of broadly speaking. Um, I like to look at Genesis as a whole, and it, you know, there's a lot of uh, popular personalities out now, kind of just sort of uh, podcasting and explore, exploring um, Genesis. Uh, for instance, Dennis Prager on the radio, or Jordan Peterson is all you know excited about the Bible and Genesis and Exodus, and uh, that's I'm glad. I mean, it's, to me, it's exciting that uh, there's another generation that are like looking into what the Bible really says. And uh, for them to spend some time talking about it is is exciting. Awesome. Thanks for introducing yourself, Dave. So the first thing that I wanted to get into is what do you think is the point of the Bible? And in addition, what would you say is the big deal, especially with Genesis 1 and 2 and the story of the creation? Yeah, so uh, I, I tell you what, Michael, I. I when I think about Genesis, the Bible is not a collection of sayings. 
<laughs> it's not a you know go to place where you want to find about how, like uh, okay, uh, what should I do today? You know, like the horoscope or something crazy like that. It what it what it is is a story. It's one long narrative story. It's one complete story. In fact, you'll find in uh, in Genesis you'll find the headwaters of so much of the rest of the Bible. So it's important to spend some time in Genesis. That's why I'm really grateful that you are spending some time right here and kind of talking about it globally. Um, the, uh, the, the, the narrative of the Bible is, is a complete story. It's a full narrative. And um, I don't know if you remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, there's one scene in there where the angels are talking, there's a there's a guy whose name is uh, George Bailey. He's the hero of the story, and he's he's he, he spent his whole life uh, on film before him. And there's a scene where there's a scene where he's a, he's a kid, and there's two angels are conversing and saying, "Now pay attention because something's about to happen here that's going to have a big impact later on." And that's Genesis. That's like Genesis one, two, and three. Uh, we're looking at something right now early on that has implications and ramifications for your life and mine, not just, um, you know, ancient history, but stuff that's going on right now. Uh, I liked one of your summaries last week. You said, the last time you said, uh, we read the Bible so that we can really get some good instructions and some good challenges on how to, uh, how to deepen our walk, you know, some application. But you said something else. Uh, but we also read the Bible because it's good for us to read the scriptures, to kind of get the word of God into us, to kind of tune us to God's ways. So uh, I appreciate your, your take on why we read the scriptures. And here we are, and we're in early in Genesis. And uh, so we're, we're, we're looking at some of the headwaters right now. This is some of the important stuff that's going to have long-term implications. And of course, we're in, in chapter two. So uh, let's take a, a, a peek at the, the two first chapters of Genesis, as you alluded to earlier in conversation, you said, you know, let's talk about uh, the differences of the creation accounts. And uh, it can be confusing if somebody's new at the scriptures, or even if they've been a you know, seasoned Bible reader, they look at this and go, which one is the real creation story, right? So I look at it this way, um, and I know that there's theories and uh, theological theories that have come and gone like JEDP and, um, and such that were part of the critical th uh, textual theories. Uh, they've come and gone. Uh, a lot of the more recent theorists have said, eh, it's the, the scriptures are written as such for a reason. And here's one of the reasons why. Uh, Genesis chapter one is a global big picture. It's the macro. And Genesis two gets into the micro. In other words, if you look at drama or theater, or poetry, um, and you know that there's authors and there's actors, that's Genesis 1. Genesis 2 is Shakespeare. You know the author. In Genesis 1, you have the word for God, that's Elohim. In Genesis 2, you have the word for Lord, Yahweh. It's a relational God. It's a God that's not just way out there creating this huge, glorious, phenomenal, structured physical life, but there's also a relational God, a God that wants to in intimately engage. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 4. In fact, it's a, an, an unraveling of a beautiful picture. It's one of the most beautiful, blissful chapters of all the Bible. It's the high watermark 
um, for what God had intended. It's paradise. The, the word paradise is not found in Genesis 2, but we know it's the Garden of Eden. It's where God really um, gets into the details of how he created a human being, a man, and then how he created woman and why. What was this for? It's for a relationship. It's not just this sort of global, huge picture of, of creation where all of the physical and uh, architectural elements are all bound together. This is, a, this is about relationships. This is about human beings relating with God. And it starts in the very beginning. It, you contrast this with many of the other worldview pictures of how, why the world began or where it began, whether it's uh, the atheistic or the religious worldviews. It, this, the Bible is so very different. We have a loving God who created lovingly and who created us to have a loving relationship with one another and certainly with him. So um, that's a, a, what I would call just an overview, broad picture of Genesis 1 and how it compares or contrasts to Genesis chapter 2. Cool. I wanted to jump in and say that um, I actually hadn't specifically thought of it that way or, or heard that before with, we, we were talking about the two different accounts quite a bit, and we were also going through a lot of the theories, and you had brought up one of them. And yet at the same time, I think that that's a spot-on way of kind of getting at what we were trying to talk about the whole time so far. I, I really like how you were bringing up the general creation as opposed to then the personal creation. And um, this is actually, I, I think you could probably, um, if we went into more detail on other parts of the Bible right now, there's a lot of parts where there's general things in one part, but then you see the same thing happening in another part of the Bible and it gets into more detail. So that's one of those themes that repeats a lot, uh, especially in the Hebrew scriptures. So now I wanted to pivot around to the next thing we're going to talk about. So Michael, would you do me a favor as, as we dig into these, uh, these themes, would you read for us Genesis 2, 4 to 7? Okay, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth, and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man with the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So thank you, Michael. You know, for some readers, it looks like, wait a minute, what? this sounds like creation in reverse. Uh, there's nothing, and then there's human beings. And, and so... Uh, and then the, now there's this one is uh, there's human beings, but there wasn't anything before that. Well, the the Bible here, the scriptures, Genesis 2, wants to get to a point 
where it wants to talk about the details of how God formed human life. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground. There wasn't anything around at that, you know, he wasn't made of it. We weren't made of anything other than dirt. <laughs> and I think that's a that's an important thing for all of us to remember. What do we what do we bring into this world? Uh, what are we made of? Um, we are we are formed by God. That's why we have value. It's not the contents of the stuff in our inside our skin. It's the the things that God placed within us, specifically in our soul. So um, I'd like to ask you to keep reading. So he, he's. Uh, God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and he's not alive yet until he does something else. I want you to finish the seventh verse, or reread the, the, the seventh verse, so that we can see how the man actually comes to life. Yeah. So in verse 7, again, it says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into the nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Yeah, so that word in Hebrew is nefesh. It's for, uh, for the soul uh, and wind, ruach. The ruach uh, of the Lord, that's the wind, the breath, the spirit, is actually animating the man. The man is now coming to life. We see that also in Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, we see that also in the New Testament when the Spirit of God, again, that's translated, that it, it is a, it's a word in Greek and Hebrew that says wind, breath, spirit, and it's a, it's a phenomenal word, but it's, it's an animated, it's the, it's the Spirit of God entering into the, the soul of man so that we have a spirit. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go back and ask you, so I know we were talking about the man being formed from the stuff of the ground. And so I know some people look at the Bible and they're like, yeah, um, I know science and, you know, we're made of all of these other compounds. Like, do you really think that God made people literally out of dirt? Um, what, what would you say to that? So that's a fair question. I like the question because... It it uh, it brings into uh, our hearts and minds what is going on here, and can we really rely on the scriptures for telling us the truth? Uh, first, my first reaction is you know dust and dirt, uh, the elements that that are at the time. I mean, I I kind of consider that a a compliment uh, for humanity that we actually are made for some pretty astounding compounds. Um, but I think what God is what the scriptures are trying to tell us right here is that. God made us out of almost nothing, and he made us, mar in a, in a, as Psalm 139 says, we are marvelously created. We are marvelously created, and, and it says in Genesis chapter 1, we are created in his image. Male and female, we're created in the image of God. So, uh, yeah, I, I know that there's some voices, some people, some questions who are asking, hey, what, are you really dirt? Um, and and, and you know, as we look at Genesis two, sometimes it looks like a kid playing with toy soldiers and moving little you know animated figures around in a play in a in a sandbox. Um, but let me let me kind of pull back from that just a moment to say simply simply this: that there's a miracle going on here, a profound miracle. And the Bible is saying there was a beginning, and God's God's involvement was all about the beginning. He created us 
and breathed his very self into us and fashioned us very, very intricately. And if we, anybody who studies anatomy, physiology, biology, and, and looks at it in the details, you cannot help but be in absolute awe of this created being called a human being. All right, so Michael, if you wouldn't mind reading this next section, verses 8 and 9. Okay, so it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing and good to the eye for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mike, Michael, thank you. I, I tell you what, the thing that sticks out in my mind about these two verses is this. God is the first gardener. Uh, anybody enjoying gardening can understand that that joy of gardening came from being made and formed in the image of God. Uh, what, what God is, is he's a creator. He's also a gardener. And he, he enjoys digging his fingers into the soil, like some of us who like to, to, uh, to plant things. Yeah, um, I actually wanted to piggyback straight off of that because uh, in this last episode, we were just talking about how God had made the people and then he told them to serve or work the ground. So God is creating, he's making them in his image, and then... He's not only making them like functionally and characteristically like him, but then also job-wise, he's uh, allowing them to do the same kind of work that he started for them. So I just thought that was interesting. It really is. And I love that the next few verses have, uh, um, from 10 to 14, have some geographical points. And the Bible is telling us, this is not myth. This is not legend. This is not some sort of uh, fantasy or fairy tale. There's real rivers <laughs> at geographical points that, uh, that you can look at in the map and say, aha, uh, this is actually something that actually happened or an, an actual location. The other thing is, too, is just as what you're saying, is the Lord God takes this man and he puts him in this garden that he has created. He places him there and then he puts him to work, like you said. There's two things that he has him do. He wants him to watch it and to work it. Uh, those two words are very important. Work it means work the garden. Uh, put some order into that. Uh, take the life that's just jumping out of the ground and make that, uh, make that life produce. Make it produce life. Make it produce more life. And, and really uh, propagate like crazy, uh, amplified. And then the second thing is watch over it. That was the other thing that you mentioned, Michael, is that there's a, another task, and that's to guard it, to watch over it. To, uh, some of the translations say to keep the garden, like keeping or obeying, uh, which means there are some, some rules or some laws in this, uh, this garden which we need to observe and to recognize and to follow. We have to follow some of these laws. Uh, uh, I love the fact that, uh, that work that uh, this gardening business is not a result of the fall. It's prior to the fall. Work is not a curse. It was a curse after the fall, but work, once we are redeemed, once we are redeemed in, in, in God's eyes and through God's means, 
then something completely is transformed, including our job, our work, our career, our calling. Um, and so I, this is the thing I love about this. This is, it's located, this work is located prior to the curse of the fall. Yeah, uh, I wanted to also touch on what you were just saying. And it's true that God had made things good, even including assigning the people work to do. And I'm sure that they found even other enjoyable work and things to do, even besides the couple things that God gave them. We talked about, you know, the work of the ground, so the physical labor, but then also the creative job with naming the animals and uh, later on the job to reproduce, which isn't really work, but uh, it's more fun, I guess we could say. But uh, I also wanted to go back for a second. I wanted to back up and talk about the location. We were talking about the four rivers and the land surrounding them. Do you have much insight into what that area was? I know we were kind of dancing around it because I'm not an expert necessarily. Yeah, no, I, I saw, in fact, I was just looking at uh, a map in uh, the ESV Bible, and it says uh, you could see the, the Euphrates, for instance. It runs right through modern-day Iraq and right into uh, the sea and right through uh, Kuwait. So, uh, yeah, it's, this is these are... I mean, you could look at it and say, ah, that's actually on the map that I can see today. And also, the, 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 the trace minerals and the, and the, the uh, metals, uh, gold, bedellium, and onyx, all of these things are real. They're things that we can handle. And again, I think this is why the scriptures put them, include them, the strange details, right? But they're included for a reason. And that's to tell us that this is a real story. This isn't a myth, yeah. <laughs> not a legend. Um, you know, this is, Michael, this is a blissful chapter. This is glory, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's paradise. It's a garden. It's glorious. But even in chapter two, one of the high watermarks, there's two things that are still kind of wrong. Um, one of which we're going to get to. And the other thing is, not, it's not so much wrong. It's, it's a little, it's different. Uh, suddenly we have uh, in the middle of this garden with trees bearing fruits, we suddenly, now we have a, a rule, <laughs> a law. You must not eat from that tree. You must not eat from that tree. And anybody who's a parent knows that, uh-oh, you know what? I probably shouldn't have pointed to that thing that they can't touch because when we tell kids that don't touch that thing over there, the kid says, what thing? And why not? And maybe I should just try it to see what will, if it will really happen. And I, I think the scriptures are telling us that since the fall, this is human beings. Later, this is what we've been we've been you know played out and and taught and and you can see it in full display right here in Adam and Eve. But we're not going to get there yet. Right now, we see that of all that there are so many trees, so many fruit bearing trees, and God has just commanded one commandment. Not that one, guys. Not that one, Adam. Then the other second thing that is not good is you know even though chapter one is filled with statements where God says, it is good, it is good. But then the Lord Yahweh, the Lord God, looks at Adam and says, you know, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper. And that word helper is a military term. Did you know that? 
It's a military term meaning a reinforcement. We're going to send somebody come alongside fit for him that will help him in his tasks of tending the garden and keeping the garden. Uh, somebody will come right alongside him. And of course, the animals are made and he names the animals. And, and it turns out none of them are going to quite fit <laughs> in terms of being that helper. They will help. They will be trained. Animals can be trained. But we need somebody that's a, like a mirror image uh, or close to a mirror image of the man. And that's where we come to this next verse I'd like you to read. It's beautiful poetry. So I'm going to ask you to read, Michael, verse 21 to 23. Okay. So in verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. Yeah, and Michael, that, that phrase, this little poet that he says, this one, and, it, and uh, you said now, your version says now, and I've got at last. It's like finally, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's, he's got to look at her. Yeah, and it's interesting because I was talking about how, and you had touched on it, it's one of those things that in one sense it's not good, but at the same time it's not that he didn't make something that wasn't good, but it's more so that he hadn't finished making it yet, and I think that's the reason why it wasn't considered good. That's perfect, Michael, right. Uh, in other words, it's like it wasn't like God made a mistake, you know, uh, no, he's he's finishing. He's working. He's continuing, and uh, I love this uh, this statement. At one at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and what it, it's just this exclamation. It's and it's beautiful. Uh, I'd like you to finish the chapter, verse twenty four and twenty five, and then we'll wrap up uh, our time together with this. Yeah. So it says in verse twenty four, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Good. So you'll notice that uh, that God gave Adam one woman, <laughs> and he gave to the woman one man, right? So the Bible is really clear. I mean, the Hebrew uh, rabbis would say they were, this is really clear everywhere in the scriptures. There's, there's, the, there's the warning against polygamy, or polymor, I guess is the word that is used today, that where it's fashionable to have more than one spouse or something like that. Well, uh, get the memo, because it says repeatedly in the scriptures, anybody who has more than one wife, it doesn't go well. <laughs> it just, it, it goes tragically badly. Um, and right here, in this, this is a, a uh, a passage that's quoted in the New Testament, both by Jesus and as well, as well as by the Apostle Paul, that that this is the intention of marriage, that a, a man would leave his father and his mother. In other words, there's a time when he has to depart from the house that where he was raised and bond with his wife, not wives, <laughs> but wife. 
and they become one flesh. That's, I mean, we know what that is. That's sexual intimacy. That's what God intended for sexual intimacy, was, was the marriage between a man and a woman. Um, in our day, in our time, we are in, in this long extended season called the sexual revolution, where we want to keep testing and pushing the envelope as to what sexuality is or how we engage in sex so that we can go beyond and beyond and beyond. Whereas God is saying, look, if you want to have if you want to have nakedness without shame, this is how you do it. You do it in the, in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman, where they, bind, where they bind themselves to each other as husband and wife. And um, again, in, in the New Testament, Jesus said, those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. So, Dave, I wanted to throw you a curveball and ask you, we've been talking about the first man and woman. Do you think that this is just describing how God set it up for them and just their unique situation? And do you think that God just made things this way for them? Or do you think that there's a bigger reason behind this and that it's less of a description of them and more of a prescription. And why would you say one or the other? Yeah, I think that uh, it's the latter. I think there there is something going on here. The whole chapter is about the intimacy between God and His creation, and the intimacy interplaying between the creation. Um, we're going to see how that plays out in the rest of the scriptures, all of the Bible, all of life. The, the vertical relationship with Almighty God, the horizontal or lateral uh, connectivity or relationship and intimacy with the people around us or the person intimately with one individual person next to us. This is chapter two. It's filled with uh, the, just the glorious bliss. And that last line that you read, Michael, is really important. They felt no shame. They felt no shame. This is the beautiful intimacy of the beautiful couple that that, that God uh, placed right there in the garden with all of this uh, this beauty. And it, you know, the, again, the vertical intimacy, the horizontal intimacy. And how does that? How does it go for them? How does it go for us uh, when we have a, a vertical good relationship with Almighty God? It should, by effect have a positive relationship or a positive effect in, the, in our relationships with the people around us. Yeah, that was really beautiful. Are you ready for uh, the, my wrap-up? Yeah. Okay, so— Let's do it. Yep. So we've got a garden, and it's called Eden. It, 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 there's The word paradise, again, it's not in the chapter, but we find pa the paradise uh, spoken of in um, two different places in the New Testament, at least. One is in Luke chapter 23. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's bleeding and he's dying, and he's met with two the the two thieves that are also hanging and dying on the cross, they've been crucified, and one of them is railing at him, and the other one has said, "Leave him alone. This man has done nothing wrong." And so, and again in Luke twenty three forty two forty three rather, uh, we have this account where the man says to Jesus, "Lord, remember me." 
when you come into your glory. Jesus responds with this, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, what is that? That's the paradise. He's returning, not just that man on the cross, he's returning us back to this place, this time, this intimacy, this mutual, lateral, horizontal, vertical intimacy with Almighty God. And we see that also in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, where that is the return. That's the final. That's the place. Um, I have a, a small uh, version of paradise in my, in my, my house, and it's a, it's a barn that uh, I've built uh, with God's help. And my wife bought me a gift, a kind of a gag gift for Father's Day. And it's a sign that says, my barn, my rules. And I looked at that and went, ha, ah, that's funny. But I said, you know what? You, you know, when, when I built that barn, I needed a lot of help from God because uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I did a lot of things and I made mistakes, a lot of oopses. And, uh, you know, you have to correct your, your oops. So what I said, I like the sign because at the bottom of the sign, it should say, my barn, my, my rules, God. In other words, God is the author of that. This world, and I think this is the, uh, to me, it's the application of what we've been studying in, so far in Genesis 1 and 2. This world is God's. Um, if, we have, uh, if we take God out of the equation as to everything around us, if we don't fear God, then what are we left with? Well, we're left with ourselves. Uh, we have... Uh, two words in the English language that I think are instructive for us, economy and ecology. Economy, ecology, both of them kind of come from the Greek. Eco is the word in Englishized ver version of oikos. And the word for oik word oikos means house or home, uh, or in my barn, it means barn. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's oikos, eco. In, in English. And so you have ecology and economy, ecologos and ekonomos. Nomos is rules or laws. Logos is the, uh, ecology is the sort of the wisdom behind it, uh, behind nature, behind the rules. So here's the question, and I think the Bible answers right away. Whose house is this? Is it our house? Is it my house? Is it somebody else's house and I got to get it? Or is it God's? And if it's God's, he has, he has terms, he has rules, he has commands, he has ordinances. And um, we need to look again at not only that, but that he is, we broke it. We continually keep, we keep breaking it. We keep making a mess of the economy and, the, and, and creation. But we think that since we broke it, we got to fix it. You broke it, you fix it, that whole mentality. If we broke our own souls, do we have the ability to repair our souls? Well, that's what a lot of people think that we've got to do. We've got to just pick ourselves up and fix ourselves. But guess what? Uh, can the broken vase fix itself? It can't. We need the Creator. We need the Savior. We need the one who died so that we, might, who were dead, might live. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane is another garden where God gave um, a command, a call to Jesus. So we have one garden where a command was given and it was disobeyed. We'll find that out next time. But we have another garden where a command was given. You are to take this, this 
cup this you're going to hang from the tree and you will die and to that command the man the second adam obeyed it we had disobedience in the first garden obedience in the second garden and it's because of the one man's obedience that we who are dead have come back to life so um maybe that's a bit of a segue but again for me it's a it's a it's a major statement to say, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory. God, this world is yours. You're going to be the one that's going to fix it, repair it, redeem it. We're, tr we're going to try to not uh, pollute it and destroy it and harm uh, other people around us. We're going to try to protect and guard and watch and enjoy. But uh, ultimately, it's you, God. You're the one who is the one who created it and who's going to redeem it and will restore it, ultimately restore it. Man, that's a lot to take in. And uh, honestly, uh, there's a few things that you said that I hadn't really thought of before. And just the correlation with the ecology and the economy, you know, the ecology being the actual physical creation and world, but then the economy which is how things are run and you know god's even giving the commands like you were talking about and we've talked about in previous weeks so i think that's a beautiful tie-in but then just how you ended with the concept of how we have the two different atoms and the two gardens which Honestly, I'd never made that connection before, but there's a passage later in Scripture that talks about how there's two atoms. I believe it's in Romans, if I'm right, and it talks about how one man's sin, which we'll get to in chapter 3, but uh, one man's sin brought death, but the other Adam, the second one, which talks about Jesus later in the New Testament. It talks about how he brought life. And obviously we can see that, you know, this is what God is doing in Genesis. He's creating life and he's giving it to the whole world around and he's giving it specifically to the people so that they can perceive and enjoy the world and enjoy life because what's the point of life if you can't enjoy it. And so I think that's a good place for us to leave off. And do you have any last comments? Yeah, yeah. thank you, Michael. And again, an honor to be here with you to, to just pour ourselves into the scriptures or pour the scriptures into us. Uh, you know, we study the word, but we kind of have to ask the word to study us because it's a living word. It's a lively word. And it continually uh, shapes us uh, according to uh, God's ways. Uh, so uh, I leave you with this beautiful picture of how the glorious chapter or chapter two of Genesis gives us this picture of a life without any shame, no harm, no sin, no catastrophe at all. It's a really high mode of scripture. And uh, wouldn't it be grand if it would just continue to, to have a beautiful ascending arc? <laughs> uh, but you'll have to stay tuned to find out what's next.
Hey, I'm so glad you guys could join for today's podcast. I hope things click for you and that you're better able to understand God's word. Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. So keep listening to what God has to say, and I'll see you guys next time. God bless.